This podcast is brought to you by Thrive Market, the online shopping club for people who care about healthy foods at a great discount price and the convenience of ordering from your home and ship nationally for free. You never have to pay full price for healthy food again. Go to thrivemarket.com forward slash MDA like Mark's Daily Apple and start your free two-month trial and get 15% off your first order. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, featuring fresh and lively commentary on all things Primal, including Q&A sessions with Primal Blueprint founder, Mark Sisson, special guest interviews hosted by Mark Sisson, and conversations with Primal Blueprint authors and other health and fitness experts. The show is presented by Damage Control, Master Formula, the world's most potent multivitamin, mineral, antioxidant, anti-aging supplement. Available at primalblueprint.com. Past episodes are available for download or to review written summaries at blog.primalblueprint.com. And now, here's your host, Brad Kearns. Hey, it's Brad Kearns teeing up this next show with the one-of-a-kind Katie Bowman author of Don't Just Sit There and host of The Digital Course, author of Move Your DNA, numerous other books. She cranks out books like Nobody's Business, and she's basically leading this exciting new movement, which she calls movement nutrition and the concept that we need to uh, increase the variation and the movement in our daily life. Even athletic, fitness-minded people who faithfully do their workout and take that time to get out and keep their commitment to exercise, there's a huge uh, alternative problem of sitting still too much and doing rote, routine things over and over that don't broaden the concept of cellular health, where we're thinking mainly in terms, in narrow terms, of being fit when we talk about exercise and movement and fitness. And there's a whole other realm here. And it's kind of like, I feel like it's one of the last remaining undiscovered or underappreciated niches of primal living. Because as we get deeper and deeper into this movement and we got more experts and more scientific validation, um, we know about the food thing pretty well. We know what's healthy and what's not healthy and where we stand on that spectrum when we're making decisions about our diet. Uh, Same with the exercise. We know the benefits of brief, intense workouts and the hormonal processes and all the things that the Primal Blueprint and all the other fitness experts talk about. Uh, Sleep is becoming a big topic and the excessive use of digital screens. But this little regarded uh, need for movement and variation in daily life is, I think, where Katie is really carrying the torch and making some tremendous impact. And one of the coolest things about her is that she walks her talk like no other health expert. I mean, she lives this incredibly interesting and unusual lifestyle where she has a home of no furniture. Her kids go to something called outdoor school, which is literally the school is outdoors. There's no building. They're just out there. And apparently if it's raining, they just take their school time under a tree or get a little wet and are no worse for the wear. And it goes on and on with um, how she conducts her life. And in fact, this podcast was conducted while she was walking for the entire duration of the podcast. So the least I could do in my studio was stand up. I have a little stool here, and I tried not to use it because I had to honor the uh, the tone set by my guests. But I think you'll really, really enjoy this show, especially if you are that fitness, athletic-minded type who thinks you can take that 
checkbox and mark it off and saying, yep, I got the, the activity, the exercise thing down because I'm a blank, a triathlete, endurance athlete, a crossfitter. Uh, but there's way more potential there when it talks about uh, just doing little basic things in daily life, like varying the positioning of your workstation. And that's what the Don't Just Sit There program is all about that you can see on primalblueprint.com or on her site, movementnutrition.com. So here we go, catching up with Katie Bowman in Washington. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoy it. Hi, listeners. Brad Kearns here with Katie Bowman. How are you? I'm walking outside. And she's not kidding, folks. This <laughs> this lady walks her talk, and right now she's going to do exactly that. She's going to do both walking and talking for the Primal Blueprint podcast. We're so glad to catch up with you. Um, we connect all the time. We did that great project together, Don't Just Sit There, which was a digital multimedia course. Um, we had that grand, uh, the grand opening, the promotional period where we were advertising the heck out of it. It sold really well, um, but it's still available um, through your website as, as well as ours, right? It's available everywhere. That's the beauty of digital stuff, right? It's like you can just get it anytime. Yeah, and we were, you and I were excited about this uh, a long time ago, the idea, and it took a long time to get it to, um, to get it to prime time and ready for users, but it's pretty cool, and I think it represents um, the future of education and even entertainment on certain subjects, because you wrote this wonderful book, the Don't Just Sit There book, that's you know, now in print version, you can order it on Amazon, or you can get the digital version as part of the course, but you know, we kind of brought you to life beyond the pages of the book by doing this video series that you were nice enough to come down and film in the office. So we have books, videos, we have audios, and all sorts of um, throw-in other reading material that you can get when you go to this Don't Just Sit There portal and order the program. So now instead of just reading about, you were talking mostly about the stand-up desk movement and how to uh, sift through what's hype and what's actually good for your health, and it's all there with um, any preference that you like from listening to the audiobook, reading it, and looking at the videos. Yeah, I think the package that you guys put together is it's like a, a multi-sensory package, right? Not everyone likes reading. Some people like the video support and then the audiobook so that you could actually put it into practice by going outside and moving around. It's just it's a beautiful product. It was a pleasure to partner with you guys on that. Yeah, it feels to me like I have so much to read. I mean, I happen to do that for a job, but also just in general with my pleasure reading and my desire to keep up on these magazines and this great new book comes out about, you know, entertaining topic and it kind of gets overwhelming. And so I've turned especially to audio with podcasts and digital books. And those are kind of filling space that I don't have. I don't have space with my eyes or any more energy to read stuff at the end of the day, but you can always listen or pick your your favorite way to learn video. I mean, my kids learn a lot through video instead of reading, which is kind of like, wow, it's a bummer. I used to read books when I was a teenager and, <laughs> and hole up in my bedroom all day. But, you know, the world's different now. So we have to respect that and appreciate that people learn in different ways, huh? Yeah. And um, I think that, you know, you can read, but then when you hear it, it might even change the way you see it when you read it. So I think that's, it's not even as linear as what kind of learner you are. I think all, moving it, moving and hearing and listening, they all facilitate a better understanding of the ideas. So that's pretty cool. So we did a whole podcast way back uh, to introduce the Don't Just Sit There program. And you got into some good scientific detail with Mark about mechanotransductions and how the cells work and how they get misshapen when you 
stay in one place too long, but uh, generally with the, the program launch and the great early response, um, let's just talk a little bit about um, kind of the, the main messages, which I think are so refreshing and possibly unusual when you're thinking about a stand-up desk in a linear manner as a solution to sitting down at a desk, and it's not even that simple, huh? No, you know, it's the problem is still a lack of movement. So even standing there all day, while it's a different geometry than sitting there all day, you're still not moving. So it's a, it's a short-term solution. It's kind of treating a symptom um, of sitting. Uh, I prefer this idea of a dynamic workstation as opposed to a standing workstation as the solution, um, as well as getting more movement overall. Well, that's one of the huge reasons that I'm your biggest fan is because I kind of have evolved into that type of a workday. And I always thought it was like because I was too <laughs> fidgety or I had some, some issue that I always had to move around and change places. But um, it, you know, now I feel validated thanks yeah. to Katie Bowman. But when you're, you know, <laughs> you're going welcome. <laughs> when you're going from standing up to sitting down or moving a location, if, if you have that flexibility, a lot of people don't, but um, everyone has the chance to take a meeting on the go rather than sitting in a conference room. And there's so many ways that we can think creatively um, that actually have a direct relationship with how our brains function. Yeah. And I think that's, that's why I love don't just sit there so much is, you know, I, I talked about a lot of these ideas about movement being kind of a, a basic biological imperative in move your DNA, but but it wasn't a super solution book as much as, as it was defining a problem book. But with Don't Just Sit There, it was like, okay, now that we kind of get the difference between movement and exercise, how can you move more without losing productivity? So, I mean, going from a you know, sitting desk traditional setup to a standing one or a, a, a desk that adjusts or maybe just taking your computer down to the floor for a little while and, you know, essentially doing with your lower body what you would do in a yoga class or a stretching class, right? You know, sitting with folded legs, sitting with your legs out in a V. These are movements. These are changes to your geometry. These are additional nutrients to your cells and bring about a different outcome. You do not have to, I, I was sitting at my computer today working and I was just switching between different web pages because I needed information from this page or that page. And like every, I don't know if it's because I live out in the country and have slower internet, but every time I loaded something, it was like three to six seconds of wasted time sitting there in this chair and I'm staring at the screen during that time. So I just started taking eye breaks where I look off in the distance out a window and let my eyes basically cross train and drop one ear to one shoulder and maybe switch the position of my legs a little bit. And there's all of this, there's time to move and ways to move that don't require a decrease in productivity that you leave your desk, that you even leave your office. So that's, I think, that's what I think I have to offer is just thinking about movement in a different way. <laughs> there's ways to move that don't have a ready-made built-in excuse for you to not do. <laughs> no, it's so true. We need that on a t-shirt. Um, that's pretty long, but you could put one of those maybe all the way around, wrapping around your body. Right. And then, then someone has to walk around you to read it. You know, and it, it's great uh, for people like you to be spreading this word, because I remember, uh, this is now, you know, 30 years ago almost, you know, I was called in at my accounting firm, called into the boss man and, and um, chastised for stretching at my desk, because I had just run a marathon and I could barely walk and I was just so balled up and tight, I couldn't sit um, 
But, you know, those kinds of things were frowned upon in the traditional workplace. And it seems as though maybe some listeners can weigh in and say, no, my place sucks. I have to sit in a chair all day. But I, it seems like there's way more flexibility and understanding and accommodation for people that have um, health interests in the workplace, especially when uh, your productivity is aligned with being healthy and being, uh, you know, get, getting the cells moving and the brain oxygenated and doing things that, uh, that the dynamic workstation strategy allows. Yeah, I mean, obviously in light of the slew of research on sitting and disease and ailments and the recognition that the bulk of the sitting comes from the work life, and then also with new writers understanding that you are more productive, not just, I think at first they understood productivity and health to be basically like the healthier you were. When you exercise in your off time, you would be healthier. You would need less sick days. You would need less days out because your back went out or because you had to go to the doctor for whatever. So they kind of encouraged more, they encouraged you to be fit, fitness being this exercise that you do at the end of your workday or before, please, maybe on your lunch hour, but certainly not during these hours. But with this whole sitting is the new smoking kind of paradigm. It was like, well, it really doesn't matter if you're exercising on the fringes of your workday. It's the sedentary workday that's the problem. So I think there's just more evidence to support this idea that exercising to offset bouts of sedentarism doesn't work. And so I think, you know, with this evidence, bosses are like, okay, we need you, we need your employees to stay healthy and be productive and be creative, I guess, depending on the type of your job. And so they're just more in support of the movement movement, I guess. Um, yeah. Talk about the active couch potato syndrome. And if listeners want to Google that, uh, you'll actually find it's a, you know, it's a medical term, an identified condition where athletic people, people with a devoted commitment to fitness are not immune from the sedentary-driven lifestyle and health problems? Um, I guess it's just a basic, it was a basic refinement of an earlier clinical idea. Like we clinically, I mean, I come from an exercise science, kinesiology, biomechanics background. So there's lots of research studies where we're trying to label people as active or sedentary. And so the basic parameters for someone being active was getting regular exercise, right? So if you exercise an hour a day, you were active. And if you didn't, you were sedentary or a couch potato would be like the more kind of common understanding or reference. It's like you just don't, you don't move that much. But in looking at this greater research at people who are sedentary, it became pretty clear numbers-wise, just with basic mathematical data points, that if you are living this traditional life, right, where you get up in the morning and you sit down and have breakfast and you drive to work and then you sit down in your office and then you, you know, sit to drive home. And a lot of people would go to exercise and still be sitting on the machine. And then they'd sit and watch an average of a couple hours of TV that even the people that we were labeling as active, we're actually mathematically sedentary. And then it became a little bit more clear why there's not a huge difference in health outcomes of those who exercise and those who don't, because you're only talking about 4% of the day that 96% 96 of the time, these habits of sedentarism are exactly the same in active 
and sedentary populations. So it led to a new category called actively sedentary, which means you get up and you do your exercise obligation. But for the most part, you're sitting like everyone else. Uh, but wait, I, I extended my long run from an hour <laughs> to an hour and 20 minutes. So it's really 5%. Yeah. So that's better. Yeah. Right. Well, that was a huge, I mean, that is a 20% improvement but at the same time <laughs> it all depends on how big it all depends on what kind of what kind of global picture you hold in your mind right if you're looking at like that's a that's a that's a good science statistical thing it's like hey i just increased my workout by 20 percent but when total amount of time you're still i think what i what i wish was instead of pedometers i wish or like the fit fit bits or all these things that are cranking out how much you move I think that if they switched, if they had a setting that would show you how much you don't move, <laughs> you would be a lot more motivated. It was like you had the potential for 10,080 minutes this week to move and you moved a total of 750 that you would be like, holy cow, that we're kind of giving these big numbers of how much we move, like 10,000 steps instead of what it actually is, which was 4% of the total day, of the total week, of the total lifetime that you spent moving. It, it shifts, right? It shifts in your mind the importance, I think, of movement. Well, here's the, um, here's the brutal thing for me as a, as a former professional triathlete who spent a, a large portion of the day and, well, I should say larger portion of the week training. I mean, we would be out there with um, 20 hours of accumulated exercise in a week which is still only, you know, 20 divided by 168 is still a small fraction. It's whatever under 10%. Um, but the, the problem came with that mentality, which um, we quoted you in Primal Endurance saying the, uh, the lazy athlete's mentality or something to that effect where you change your lifestyle habits and you reward yourself consciously and perhaps subconsciously by being lazier because you're such a badass athlete. So I think you could even exacerbate the problem uh, in comparison to, let's say, your routinely active neighbor who walks to the market and, uh, you know, does general movement without a second thought, whereas the athlete's going to get in their car and drive uh, like Steve Martin to their next door neighbors in the movie L.A. story. <laughs> no, when he walks in L.A. Well, that, that brings me to a, a couple of ideas that pop into my head. And one, they did a big, I think I put this as a reference in move, uh, Don't Just Sit There, which was when the realization that marathoners and half marathoners were extremely still the bulk of the time. And one of the hypotheses being that um, you are working at such a high intensity. So it's like going from being sedentary to the bout of exercise, the bouts of exercise, the hours that you're doing are so, are so intense that it kind of they were, they were hypothesizing that you had kind of a fixed amount of energy to draw from. And then if, if you drawing from your pool of energy was to do all intensity over, you know, two or three hours, mm -hmm. that it didn't leave much reserve for the rest of the time. So that was one of the huh. hypotheses. Um, the other thing that pops into my head is movement. I mean, trying to talk about movement really in terms of nutrition, because I think it helps people a little bit. Every type of movement is a particular mechanical load, what I call like mechanical nutrients. So people who are doing their exercises tend to, especially when you're training for a particular sport or competition, you're tending to do, you're trying to adapt your body to do that particular thing really well. So you do a lot of it and you specialize, your body adapts 
to a structure that specializes in that particular sport or event. And all of the other movements that would nourish other parts of your body, not related to any particular physical event, but just to basic biological health and function, meaning your organs are all functioning well, basic biological systems of digestion and reproduction are all a go, um, aren't being met, even though the total movement is being met. So it's kind of the equivalent to going, you know, we say you need to move more. I don't, I don't want to leave the impression that the only thing that we're talking about is moving more. We're also talking about moving more of you. So you exercise, but only really the parts that are involved and the way that those parts are involved in the event are being nourished. Everything else is not. And so there is like a twofold of move more and then also move more of you. And that's the idea of cross-training, right? Is that you look at what you do most often and you supplement your workouts with things that don't directly relate to the competition or to the outcome. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, why do we, we cross-train? Because you want to avoid injuries, right? Because it's like, well, if you only do that with your knees or your quad muscles, develop in a way that supports that event. But it turns out that you also needed this muscle over here to be stabilized or the one that's really strong now pulls more than it should and you have an injury. So we talk about it in terms of muscle balancing or more of a functional overall strength. So I just wanted to be clear that those two things are going on. So in addition to moving more, we have to figure out how to get movements in that are radically different from maybe the exercise that we consume or the thinking of it as a vitamin that we consume the most. Right. I think uh, more and more appreciation is coming, especially in the athletic world, for the importance of uh, doing a yoga class. And you see the picture of the NFL player uh, doing the downward dog or the triathlete who's hunched over the the bars or, or scrunched into the swimming stroke for hours and hours and then trying to unwind and counterbalance that. But what's also interesting that you bring up a lot is just the simple act of walking, let's say, which you're like um, a, a huge fan <laughs> of. I don't know how many miles you're going <laughs> to accumulate during this podcast, but it'll probably be the longest, the most uh, active podcast guest ever. And we have a special <laughs> gift for you, which is a pair of uh, uh, handmade moccasins by the uh, the local Native Americans in uh, in the Olympic Peninsula where you live. So you can redeem those at the end of your walk. Do I have to walk to go get them? <laughs> That's right. They're not going to mail them. Sorry. <laughs> That's right. You got to walk over the hill. Um, but Maffetone brought this up too on a recent Primal Endurance podcast, Dr. Phil Maffetone, where he's saying that, you know, these aerobic energy producing uh, mechanisms and enzymes in your body are activated from zero all the way up to your aerobic maximum heart rate, which is a big discussion topic for what not to exceed to deliver a proper aerobic workout. But he says most athletes skip right over the 40% intensity, 50%, 55%, 60%, the, the super easy stuff, which is basically walking, and go right into that uh, pegged zone where you're right at the edge of aerobic and you're, you're running along or pedaling along at a good pace. So what, I mean, the basic point was that just by walking around and taking that, you know, seven-tenths of a mile walk to the store and back will make you a better endurance athlete because it's activating different energy pathways than the stuff that's a little bit higher intensity. But when you go high intensity in a competitive event, you're activating all those pathways from, from start all the way to the, the maximum. Well, and I, that comes, I think that, that understanding comes from, under, I don't want to like say under, that's a lot of words, understanding. 
we have compartmentalized exercise in research into modes. So let's just take running. There are modes of exercise and running is one of them. And because we present it that way, we just tend to think of like, I'm a runner. I run at 70% or whatever the percentages that you're looking for. But that's one particular nutrient. Running is really a category. There's like a lot of different ways to run. So there are many geometrical ways of running that would be different nutrients, meaning if you're a sprinter, if you only sprint on an asphalt, flat, smooth pavement or a track, your body would work differently if you sprinted over a field with lumps and bumps and holes for your ankle to particularly twist in. And that I think maybe there's this understanding now that like to be a better sprinter, when you compete on the track, you would be served by developing your body to be able to sprint over a lumpy, bumpy, unmowed field with trees in the way that you have to negotiate, that you have to have a bigger picture in your mind. And in that same way, intensities are also individual nutrients. They are different running types. And so you're not, it would be more accurate to say, like say 70% or 80% is your sweet spot. Not that you are a runner or a sprinter, but diagram exactly what kind of runner or sprinter you are, because then you can see how specialized your physio physiological mechanisms have become. And then you also have to say the flip side in the same way you're like, I walked 10,000 steps, but I didn't walk 180,000 steps of which what was the potential for this week. When you say you are what kind of runner, you should also list in your mind the other kind of physical performers that you are not, because then you can craft a more robust movement protocol for yourself. You can start to see where you are possibly deficient in your basic movement skill set. So we can always pull out this thing that we're best at, but improvement really comes from being able to list the things that we cannot do and start to work. <laughs> that would change them. our. So, uh airplane conversations <laughs> with the passenger next to you. Oh, sure. so so what are you? Oh, I'm a triathlete, so I do the swimming, right. biking, and running, and I'm really crappy at sandbags, and uh, yeah. I lose my balance yeah. on rough surfaces. <laughs> oh, mercy. Right. The list would be long. And being, it would be long, but it's also, even if you just do it mentally, right? I think that it's about expanding the ideas that we have about exercise into something that applies to life and movement throughout the day, not just a bout of exercise, right? There, there are many movements required of the human that have nothing to do with your particular sports performance. And what you want to be aware of is when you are pulling your body away from basic biological functions to specialize in a particular um, event or sport or exercise or whatever, if only for the reason of understanding the ailments that arise in your body. Because I think that People are fine when they're young and then they're competing and all of a sudden there are these major health episodes that a lot of people face and they kind of come out of left field because you should be healthy Yeah. because you are following your government recommended, your <laughs> research-based exercise protocol. But those protocols are about fitness and fitness is not about biological well-being. They're two different, mm -hmm. they kind of share some, some relatives, but they are not exactly the same thing. And so I think this whole... Uh, activities of daily living movement throughout the day is a new a direction for movement research to go, wait a minute, our movement 
departments at university, like kinesiology, the study of human movement, was really narrowed down to be the study of human exercise. And there are many ways to, hello, there are many ways to move that aren't sports and athletics and fitness. They are just the movements required of life. And they have a, uh, they serve a role in supporting your basic biological functions and structure. Well, uh, that's enlightening to many people, I hope. Um, and I also can predict, speaking for those in the athletic realm, the extreme CrossFitters or the hardcore endurance athlete, um, there might be some pushback occurring on this issue because, um, you know, if my main priority is just to kick butt in the gym and score a high impressive score on the CrossFit workout of the day, and, and I scoff at the suggestion that I need to add walking to my regimen because I barely have time for that one-hour workout that I faithfully attend, um, we have to get a little deeper here and talk about those health challenges that you mentioned that also uh, strike the super fit people because they don't have enough movement nutrition of the overall nature. Hi, listeners. It's Brad Kearns to talk to you more about Thrive Market. And boy, this is a favorite subject of mine, shopping online. Because it's so convenient, you can navigate to the exact products you want so easily, quickly, you make better purchasing decisions. And with Thrive Market, they do a lot of the homework for you because they put up only the healthiest, highest quality food products you can find at fantastic discount prices. It's really like Costco meets Whole Foods online. And this is a shopping club, so you pay a moderate annual membership and get all the kinds of foods and groceries you want for 50% off retail prices and always ship for free anywhere in the country. And they have great filters so you can put things like paleo, gluten-free, vegan, raw, non-GMO, organic, fair trade into the search engine and find the exact products that you desire. They even have the best non-toxic household products, beauty, pet, and baby products in the market. So you're sitting down, you're going shopping, you're having fun, and then you open up this wonderful box of only the very highest quality food products and household products you can find. What's cool about Thrive is they have a nice mission. They have a charitable cause. So for every paid annual membership, they donate a free membership to a low-income family, teacher, or military family. Now, if you want to join the movement, go to thrivemarket.com and check it out. Scroll around. I know you'll be excited when you first land there and see all the cool products that you're familiar with at those super high prices sometimes at quality, healthy markets. But when you go to thrivemarket.com, the prices are slashed. And for listening to the podcast, you get a special deal of a two-month free trial. So you don't have to pay that annual membership until you're convinced that you're going to be a Thrive customer and you get 15% off your first order. Two-month free trial, 15 off your first order. All you have to do is go to thrivemarket.com forward slash M-D-A, like Mark's Daily Apple. Go check out thrivemarket.com. You will love it. Almond butter, super cool trail mixes, primal kitchen mayo, dark chocolate, and more. I think it's, it's just hard, I think, to link up a lack of movement to some of these ailments if because we come from a non, we come from a sedentary culture. Every, everyone within the culture is sedentary. So all of the questions that formulate research directions and everything that you're reading is always coming from what I call an in the tank perspective. And I call it that because in Nuvir DNA, I talk about the orcas um, mm. at SeaWorld, right? And they have those folded fins. Why? It's a mechanically transduced outcome based on 
swimming. And I actually wrote that section of the book specifically because it's very easy for a researcher at SeaWorld to, by categorization of an environment, like what is, you, you can be specific about the environment of a whale. You can, you can direct it based on the outcomes that you would like to, to see. So like if I'm a researcher at SeaWorld, I'm going to say, hey, the natural habitat for a whale is saltwater. We have salt water here. You know, it's you you can be selective about leaving off things like shape, um, size, depth, currents. You can leave all those things off. And we don't really have a broad enough understanding of movement, right? Because we're all thinking in terms of exercise right now. But when you have a broader understanding of movement, then it's really easy to um, start going, oh, I see what I see what you mean. Walking on flat and level ground 100% of the time prevents tipping and bending of my ankle as I would get if I was walking, you know, over a forest floor with kind of lumps and bumps on it. Um, heeled shoes under my feet the entire time is going to limit the range of motion of my ankle and it's going to adapt to have less of that. And it's, it's just, it's just that it's this kind of foundational piece is knowing the difference between exercise and movement, but also considering known animals in captivity. We don't really think of ourselves, I don't think as captive animals, but at the same time, the forces that are produced on a whale, by a whale, moving through its natural environment are created by the interface of the whale and the way that it's swimming in the water or the habitat. And we're the same way, the forces that are created by and placed on our body come from how you interact with your habitat. And there is a lot of artificialness, what I call casts, because they, without you really realizing it, limit the amount of motion that you can experience. And you've grown up in it. You don't really have maybe a visual way of quantifying the difference yet, but... I've certainly gone on and on about it enough where you could, you could start seeing some of the difference. And I think, again, that pushback that we started talking about might come from um, looking at fitness-related variables, body fat, VO2 max, um, one rep max, all of these, phys- all of these um, physical fitness variables that we've been taught to measure. So it's kind of like the equivalent to teaching to a test, right? You you know the standardized tests that you want kids to pass in school. And so the education becomes a lot about making sure that they can pass these tests. But it's different than if they were exposed to lots of different things. They might not do as well on those tests. But if you change the test, you would see that they know different things. And so I always ask people before they push back to make a list of all of their health outcomes, medications, surgeries, everything, everything, you know, how often you go to any healthcare provider and for what, whether it's like an alternative healthcare provider or a traditional allopathic provider. And you look at this list and go, okay, while I am very fit, you might have objective data that speaks to your current state of health. And then you just keep a journal and then you can start seeing where maybe systems aren't all a go. 
Uh, that's a nice, a little bit of a, a painful analogy, but very uh, memorable. That talking about that standardized test, and it's so, it's such a distasteful topic to me. With um, you know, raising kids and seeing um, the, the school systems are getting better with Common Core and, and, and all that. But when you think about just the the idea of a rote learning process to pass some test at the end, rather than a dynamic process. And that's what we're doing with walking on flat ground and having these geometric shapes everywhere where we can sit. And um, uh, e- even with the exercise examples of uh, being in a, <laughs> in a seated position and pedaling your bike or doing an artificial stair climb or artificial treadmill, all these things are a departure from, um, again, back to the primal theme and why we're such pals is, um, you know, we go to that evolutionary example of what humans were really designed to do. And they were designed to do all kinds of crazy stuff every single day and thrive accordingly. So, you know, all that, if you're making a checklist of how far removed you are from natural, authentic human experience, um, even the athletes are going to have to pony up and say, yeah, well, um, you know, I can do this really well, but um, I'm, I'm hopeless when it comes to um, some simple, you know, expected uh, uh, skill or talent that a fit person should have. Well, I think... In the book, I kind of, it's like everyone wants to be the hunter, right? There's hunters and gatherers, and everyone wants to be the hunter. We want to just isolate those hunteriest of hunter activities and then do them really hard so that we're good at them, forgetting that every hunter spent a decade or more as a gatherer. Every hunter is also a gatherer, meaning they squat, they forage, they take bouts of rest, but not in, in chairs. They walk many miles. You know, it's not all about sprints and endurance running. There are many activities that support your ability to do the huntery things, but they come from a gathering lifestyle. So it's hunting and gathering, hunting and gathering, do all of it. Besides that, the hunting is just probably a small portion even at best of times, they're spending four days preparing, they're spending five hours tracking, and then finally that amazing athletic accomplishment of running at full speed or uh, doing the, the final uh, kill effort. So it's mostly the background stuff that's not as sexy, I guess, and especially with um, your daily dose of movement nutrition, it might not be as exciting to um, walk to the mailbox and carry something or, or carry a load of files down <laughs> a staircase uh, instead of doing your track workout and timing yourself and charting it up on your social media, um, but they all go hand in hand, I think is the main message here. Yeah, you know what? I think what we need is like a meme that I think what gets pulled out are the, you know, the sprints, the ripped guy in a loin cloth with his, you know, catch and, and like these huge physical feats. But if we could take like, you know, we're suggesting what, like walking for a meeting you know, if you are, you know, you're working in a traditional office, you can suggest the evidence-supported walking boost creativity, walking meeting. If we had like a meme or you just have like this group of office workers out walking with their power suits and chatting and then next to it, like, like we have on so many primal websites, you know, a picture of all of those people in loincloths, walking and chatting like they, you know, would be going to a place. And it's not about fast because you're, you're not the, all this idea of like walking everywhere has to be a certain speed and a continuous gait and all these things comes from our 
experience with walking for fitness during a short period of time, like on flat and level ground. It's not, there, <laughs> there are primal equivalents to everything that we're talking about here, which is the relaxed, easy squat in front of the fire or around your dinner table, right? Because I'm the furniture free person and that you can walk with a group of people. You can meander with a group of people and you are not, not moving. It's like movement only counts if it's fast and hard and nothing else has value. And I think that's what all this literature is saying is all of those things are just as nutritious as that one single bout that you're doing of something else. And we're significantly malnourished when it comes to mechanical nutrients. Uh, and we're also overnourished as we talk about in detail in the primal endurance and Dr. James O'Keefe, his TED Talk, one of the leaders in this field of saying that excessive cardiovascular exercise is actually a heart disease risk factor yep. rather than a longevity promoter. Right. And the definition of excess that he and other scientists are in agreement on is surprisingly small. Sure. Like it's <laughs> over two and a half hours of running a week at a slow pace, like a nine or 10 minute mile. Anything beyond that, you start to lose the maximum benefits and start to introduce risk factors, which is um, for, for anyone who's involved in, in fitness and endurance, um, you know, it's basically nothing that'll get you to, to the top. And then everything else is uh, asking for trouble, in essence, if you do it uh, in, a, in a chronic manner. Yeah. And I, again, that points back to nutrients. Like vitamin D is good, but a whole lot of vitamin D isn't better. There are, do there are doses to all nutrients and, and exercise are just mechanical nutrients. Loads created through movement are mechanical nutrients. They function in exactly the same way. It's an input. It's a cellular response. It's a, an adaptation or a change in cellular behavior. And we just have, we are, I say this a lot, but we are with exercise where we were with food like a hundred years ago, maybe like 60 years ago in terms of nutritional science, where they were still trying to figure out I mean, I mean, we're still kind of at this place, really, but you're still trying to figure <laughs> Some out. Some people are. Yeah, but... yeah, right? Like, you're still, there's still quibbles over, like, what's the best macronutrient profile, right? Because we can't just say eat 3,500 calories a day, the end, because you could be ill eating. You could be malnourished eating 3,500 calories, depending on what you eat. And that is the equivalent to getting lots of exercise, but not doing it in a varied um, manner where you're not establishing many different geometries at many different intensities at different times of the day in different habitats, et cetera. The, the variables to movement would blow your mind if you saw them all listed on paper. Right, right. Oh, I want to talk about, I know we're getting near the time, but I want to um, get an inspirational ending here of how you are <laughs> uh, setting the tone and walking your talk because your lifestyle is so unique and interesting. And it really, I believe informs your work and makes you so authentic and powerful with your voice because you're actually doing it every single day. I mean, you've walked this entire podcast. It seems pretty quiet. I think it's louder here in my studio with the darn <laughs> blowers outside than it is wherever you are in the forest or something, huh? <laughs> well, I live, I live in a rural area. I mean, it's like a, it's a well-functioning area. It's not super rural, but I live on the Olympic Peninsula. I moved here on purpose. Wow, that's because... uh, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of by mistake, I guess. Yes. I'm like, where, are, well, let's just see where the car goes. No, we, we picked an area that would be, you know, close enough. Like I, I still, I'm an, I'm a full-time hard worker. So I have a life that's very similar in terms of productivity and requirements. Like I am not an independently wealthy person who works kind of when she feels like it. And 
peppers my movement day with a little bit of work here or there to sustain it. I get up early in the morning before dawn and I usually walk four to five miles through rural areas with a group, you know, one, two, three other people. Then that's kind of like my social time, but also movement time. It's also my time to expose my eyes and ears to natural loads of the of what's called audiophony or biophony, the sounds, hmm. you know, that humans are used to bugs and sometimes coyotes or who, God, who knows what else is out here with us. But um, then I get home and I have a three and four year old kid and I am, you know, a full-time mom. Our kids do go to outdoor school now. So there's a nature school here where it's a hundred percent outside kind of a science nature school. And they go to school three times a week for four hours during which I get a lot of my work done in my dynamic office, um, which has a standing and a floor sitting workstation. We have squat toilets. We've removed the couches from our house, which I think is actually how you first found me, right? It was from that the first furniture-free tour of my home on YouTube or something like that. I think is it's right? one of the best YouTube videos of all time. There's a couple <laughs> Stephen Schleppmo videos that are up there, but um, you're just taking us on a tour and one of the high points for me was that swimming pool ladder in the backyard. Which is a hunk of junk. It was something that I got at a garage. A ladder that goes into one of those, uh, like, not inflatable, but portable or seasonal. You set up that plastic tub, and it's maybe three or four feet high, and it's a ladder that you set into it. But I bought it for my then one-year-old because we live in a house. Like, what is he going to climb? He's he. We, I have limited his physical experience already so I bought it for like five bucks and I put it in the living room and my one-year-old would pull himself up on it he would walk around it and you know one day I came out and the one-year-old is at the top of the ladder and it was just basically a, a hunk of junk to facilitate some movement the ladder that goes nowhere but yet gets you everywhere I guess so to speak <laughs> and then the other picture I like was that tree house that was like 10 feet <laughs> off the ground yeah. And here's a little kid, maybe three or four years old, standing in the doorway with a 10-foot drop, and there's no ladder or any, <laughs> any adult supervision. I'm like, uh, so you put this picture on the internet, you get any uh, negative feedback? I mean, because we're so constrained in normal yeah. everyday life, and that's why it's so refreshing to see, wow, you actually, you actually walk someplace in the morning with your, with your friends, and your kids go to outdoor school, and it's, um, it's pretty good. A lot of momentum going there. And a lot of, it's like, you know, you're faking it kind of in a way. Like uh, my, my kids get up and they walk a mile almost every morning before they go to school or before they don't go to school. But they get up, we go to bed early um, when the sun starts going down. We have an oil lamp in our house, right, to get that kind of oh my goodness um, non-light. We just added it. And it's like very like romantic and exciting for the kids, you know, to have candlelight dinners. I live in the Pacific Northwest, so it gets darker earlier. And, and they just have... They have very low stimulation. Like we don't have screens. We don't have a television. Um, we floor sit, right? There's no furniture. They, they know that other kids have furniture. They also know that they don't. It's kind of in the same way that not everyone eats in the same way that you might eat, but you go to other people's houses. Our kids understand there's different ways of doing it, but they're, they're dynamic and they're always supervised. But usually my supervision like consists of taking pictures <laughs> to be like, look, <laughs> he climbed up to this. I mean, I have a picture of my, gosh, my then two-year-old son who had gotten this bamboo 
ladder and put it up to the roof so his one-year-old sister could climb up. And we're there watching and monitoring. We just don't feel the need to let them know that we are watching and monitoring. You know, it's all very, no verbal suggestions that what they are doing naturally and physically might do them harm when that's really kind of just a modern idea or experiences that are brought about by modern bodies that don't haven't moved regularly since birth. Right. And then what you develop into is someone who requires all these guidelines, restraints, safety measures, because you don't have, um, you know, fully formed decision-making processes to even be able to assess risk because you've never faced it. Yeah. It's kind of like, I think that probably every one of your listeners, well, maybe not everyone, but most under understand like the whole minimal shoe thing, right? The but don't you need orthotics and a stiff shoe and a fully covered shoe like to protect your foot? And there's been over the last 10 years, a slow breaking down of going, well, your foot comes with muscles. And the only reason you knew these things or that you need these things is because someone put shoes on you when you were an infant. And, and so what was protective or cultural then creates or shapes the body that then needs all these things. And And then if you've always walked barefoot, I mean, we went on a walk in the national forest here and my son, my barefoot, he was three at the time, found three hypodermic needles. Um, But he found them because his level of alertness while walking unshot is very high because he's always been responsible for his own physical well-being. I mean, Mm. I'm there, I'm certainly facilitating it, but I've Never been like, watch out for that. Oh, make sure you see that. Like he, I let him suffer small consequences, you know, like stubbing his toe or whatever. And he quickly shapes his body and his alertness and his structure to be able to interact safely with the environment the way humans have for thousands and thousands of years. So it's just, it's just, it's just that. And so we moved to a place where it was easier to facilitate that. It's certainly not easy when we go into more urban areas because our kids are they're pretty wild. You know, they require, <laughs> if you, the amount of movement they require is, is it's almost mind blowing. It's fatiguing is what it is. Like right. at the end of the day, we're like, oh my gosh, we should have just trained our kids to be still. It would have been so much easier <laughs> on us. But I feel like the, the challenge is early on now. And um, physically, I'm sure there right. are other things coming. You have older kids, maybe, you know, but, but I feel, I feel okay with it. Right. They're healthy and they're strong and happy and and we live outside it's great well i think everyone can do the best they can with whatever environment they have so if your kids happen to be in uh regimented pattern school you make an extra effort and that's kind of where parents can step in and say you know these are some of the voids that i see in modern life and um the two big ones for me are um, you know, the dietary practices of the standard American diet and the influence that the young people have and, you know, what they're, what they're faced with, which is, you know, disaster at every turn. And then also the excessive uh, <laughs> sedentary patterns and screen time. So I'm kind of like, you know, battling, fighting the battle. And it's a lot of times a losing battle, but at least I'm up there saying in getting into their head saying, you know, you know, I know you're enjoying this, but uh, excessive uh, time in front of a screen is not healthy. So just chew that up and digest it while you're uh, racing with your Grand Theft Auto buddies online and whatever else is going on. And it's, um, you know, it's not, we're not trying to be perfect. And I appreciate your role modeling and your natural environment and all that, but not to get the wrong idea, but, um, you know, take some little tidbits from that example 
and we can apply them at whatever level is comfortable for us. Yeah. Um, I remember at um, PrimalCon, you were a featured keynote speaker, and uh, as the as the coordinator, I, I did you know my usual best to accommodate our VIP guests and offered you rides from the airport and a lavish hotel suite and you know everything all set. And you're like, no, 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 I'm good. And then on the morning of your talk. You walked at pre-dawn hours five miles to arrive at the park in time for your, I think it was like an 8.30 uh, start time for the talk. And I remember finding that out. I didn't realize you had walked and Mark and I had driven like a quarter mile from the resort over to the beach park and we're like getting out of the car going, okay, so here's an authentic speaker for you guys. Yeah. Well, and I don't mean to, I don't want to come across like I am not, I'm not a judgmental, I'm not a holier than thou kind of person they're just really important to me. It's like, it, this is my equivalent to always making sure there's good food on the table. I just try to get good movement on the daily table. I certainly recognize the limitations faced by people in all the different places that they live all over the world. And really the bulk of what I do professionally are provide small tips for you to be able to incorporate these things that I'm talking about into your everyday life without having to move or like switch paradigms or abandon your job or any of those things. Like I I totally get it. And so on like Instagram, I always point out like here is one way that you can get more movement into your day. Like why not swap out dinner two times a week? Like a lot of families, there's one person who has to go work all day and they, you know, are traditionally under moved because they've been in the office and then you don't have time to spend with the family. So you value your sitting down at the table hour. And it's like, well, what if you cooked up your food, put in a backpack and did a family walk in the evening during dinner time? You're still together. You're still enjoying whatever you did on the go. And so I, I think I try to post, I mean, at least twice a day, some little tiny tip for you to get more movement into whatever life you have right now. So... Uh, hold on one second, listeners. I'm, I'm signing up. I'm following. Okay, it's Nutritious Movement on Instagram. Very awesome. Thousands of followers. Cool pictures here. A lot of high-energy stuff. So I'm, I'm in. I'm right there. I got Katy Perry, and now I got Katie Bowman on Instagram. Are those the only two people that you follow? A um, couple others. Oh, is this you all, Katie, all the time? Call <laughs> Katy Perry's got more followers, but I kind of like your angle. Very interesting. So make sure you follow Nutritious Movement on Instagram. Um, you have a brand new slick website with all your happenings, correct? It's coming, nutritiousmovement.com. If you go there, you will be pointed to our current website, which is Restorative Exercise, um, that's got all the books, all the courses, all of the things in the world that we have. And then our Facebook page, which is Nutritious Movement has got, I don't know, eight years worth of articles and posts and research and tips and pictures. So there's just there's just more there that could keep you basically sitting in front of your computer. So don't go there. Change your change mind. Just go for a walk instead. Hey, look at this one. You have a picture of uh, pulling a wagon full of envelopes where you're mailing off your new book, Don't Just Sit There, and you're walking a mile to the post office. I mean, this is like... <laughs> It's better than a signed copy from the author that you actually know this thing was walked to the mailbox. We squatted on the floor, my whole family together, because I'm a big fan of stacking your life, which means you accomplish many things within a single bout. Family time, movement Uh time, and work time, all within the same 45 minutes. And then we loaded up the wagon. There was a thousand pre-orders, so don't just sit there. (laughs) And so 
that cart is not light and walked with the whole family, right? We're playing and chilling and walked, took us an hour and a half. We were outside, but we got the work done and I had time with my husband and kids and movement. It's just like, I think that's the secret. The secret is stacking your life. Hashtag stack your life is my new movement recently about accomplishing many things at once so that no areas of your life have to be undernourished. Katie Bowman, love it for closing thoughts. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the podcast. Um, go check out the nutritiousmovement.com. Move Your DNA is an excellent comprehensive book on all the matters uh, similar to what we discussed, as well as the Don't Just Sit There book, which is now available. So um, hopefully we'll get some more people connected with you and love to check in with you from time to time with the uh, Primal channel here. And until then, good luck with all your endeavors and walking. Thanks so much for having me. Ba-da-ba-ba-da-ba-ba-da-ba-ba-da-da.